Congregations suppose that there will be no love in this world. Suppose that nobody, no mother would hold the baby. And just talk to the little baby. And just show its face. And just bond with it. Suppose that in marriage nobody would ask or say, I love you. No bond with friends. It will be no love. It will be such a cold place, right? It will be so much loneliness. And I read in the Bible about that. It's called desolation. Turn thee unto me and have mercy upon me, for I am desolate and afflicted. Maybe this morning somebody is in church and says, I am really lonely. Nobody cares for me. Nobody loves me. I miss that. I feel as a pelican in the wilderness, as an owl in the desert, the Bible says. And yet, although people may feel very lonely, they don't have to feel lonely. Because it's a God who is, is inviting sinners to seek salvation and comfort and love in him. To love the Almighty God and to be loved by Him, to walk with Him, to talk to Him, to listen to Him, to be with Him, to have fellowship with Him, commune with Him. By the way, that is also expressed at the Lord's Supper table, right? And the communities are together in fellowship and care for one another and don't want to have don't want to participate in the Lord's Supper by themselves, but together, in togetherness. And some among us today don't feel lonely. They have friends, married, have children, lots of attention, no lack of love. But the Lord is not there. They're without God in the world. So loneliness has many different faces. And it's needed to find the true love in the Lord. And that's what our text is about this morning. 1 John 4, the main text is verse 10. 1 John 4, verse 10. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So far. The theme for this morning is the love of God. And with the help of the Lord, four thoughts. The first place is God is love. He's not only loving and loving the loving deeds, he is, in essence, himself. He is love. Secondly, by nature, no love. Now I'm talking about people. By nature, since our fall, in our, since our birth, there's no love, no real love for God, neither for men. In the third place, the people of God's love. Although nobody loves him by nature, the Lord makes himself a people for himself that loves him and also has love in the heart for others. The Lord makes them his people, the people of God's love. And in the fourth place, a true mark of grace is love. Also, as we have the Lord's Supper next week, Sunday, the Lord willing, some may say, give me some marks. Give me some marks that I may know and examine my own heart. So one of the marks of grace is love. The theme, the love of God. In the first place, God is love. Secondly, by nature, no love. In the third place, the people of God's love. And fourthly, a true mark of grace is love. Congregation John, the, uh, 
the apostle is old when he's writing this. He's probably in his 90s, some say. And in a very fatherly way, he is instructing the congregations. In this general epistle, it goes from one congregation to the other. He is old, and he, he cares. And that's why we see so many times in this Bible book that he addresses the congregations as beloved, beloved, and sometimes as little children. And he has that really caring and loving heart. He is the disciple of love. He talks a lot about love, and for him it was a surrender that the Lord loves him. So, so in this morning, there is that love from the Word of God, beloved ones, beloved, believe not every spirit, and beloved ones, let us love one another, and so on. Beloved, beloved. Now, when you think of love, we read a lot about that in this chapter, about, about love. For example, verse 7. What does it say there? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. See that? So that is, he's talking about God, God's love. It's, it's, it's from the Lord. And also verse 8, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. See, it's verse 8, see that? God is love. And verse 9, in this was manifested the love of God towards us because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. So God is love. Love is one of the most important characteristics, attributes of God. And no wonder that Muslims don't understand this. Recently, I read a story about a young Muslim woman. She was reached in, I think it was Saudi Arabia, and she changed by the will of God and became a Christian. And then she had to confess that to her mother. So she prayed about it and asked the Lord for, for the freedom, for the courage to do that. And one, one day, they were in the restaurant or so, and she said, Mom, I have become a Christian. And her mom, sitting over across the table, punched her fist in her nose. And she fell backward. It was really a mess in the restaurant. And, and since the time, her mother was just teasing her and threatening her and making life miserable for her. She just could not stand it. A daughter was a Christian, so she hated that, and she threatened her even with death. And this young woman never retaliated. She always responded with, I love you, Mom. I love you, Mom. She hit in the face and she made life difficult. I love you, Mom. And after a couple of months, that changed. Her mother stopped threatening her because there was something that had started to bother her. Is that what Christians are like? Forgiving and loving? And she was curious and wanted to know more about her. And that mother went, 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 went online, because that's all, all very secretive, right, in Saudi Arabia. You cannot just go to church. Make a long story short, we hope it is saving, but also her mother became a Christian because of that love. And that is typically for the Christian religion. 
to love, to never retaliate. I read already in Leviticus 19. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Love the neighbor as yourself, because I am the Lord. So that needs to be reflected in society, in our families, in churches, that God is love. Or Romans 12. Dearly beloved, let me just insert in all circumstances, no matter what, dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, say the Lord. So God is love. That means that he is good, that he is patient, he's merciful, he's fair, he's perfect. God is love. And do you know since when? We talked about this before, but I like to underline it again. Since when is God love? Some say God is love since the creation of people. He, he loved them. And before that time, there was nothing he could love, right? So who could he love from eternity if there is nobody? But you know, God is love from eternity because he is a triune God. And the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit loved one another in that Holy Trinity. We read in the Bible, John 3, 35, the Father loveth the Son and has given all things into his hand. Or think of John 5, for the Father loveth the Son and showeth him all things that himself doeth, and he will show them greater works than these, that ye may marvel. So God the Father is loved by the Son and the Aversa, and in the Trinity they love one another. And John Edwards, one of our great Puritans, he said God's love for each other spilled over. But there's so much, such extreme amount of love that from that love of God, he also can love not only his creation, but he can also love a people for himself. God is love. We also know that from other Bible stories, children. Remember also the Lord Jesus, that he wanted to be baptized. And that John the Baptist refused him, said, no, I can't be. I cannot do that. I should be baptized by the Lord Jesus, not the Lord Jesus by me. But the Lord Jesus said, no, no. So it has to be, to fulfill all righteousness. So John the Baptist gave in. And they together went down to the water, and the Lord Jesus was baptized. And then when he came out of the river and was standing on the bank again, a dove came down from heaven, from heaven and sat on him. And there was a loud voice that people heard, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So God is loved because he loved himself. And rightly so. You know, I, I can't say to you, please love yourself above everything. I can't say that. Don't do that. But the Lord loves himself over everything. 
and he is alone. That's most reasonable. That is most deserved. And actually, we talked about it years ago as well. There is a hell because God is love. Do you remember that? A month ago or so, close to Hicks Lake, I saw a mother bear with cubs. And are they protected, right, those bears? Because those mother bears, they, they love, let me say, they love those cubs so much that you don't, don't touch them because they protect them. And they're fierce and furious if you come too close to the cubs. So they're so furious because they care. And, you know, you say something to a, to a mother about her child, you can get the response of, don't talk that way about my boy, about my girl. They protect him because of the love. So the Lord is also very protective, very loving of himself. Don't touch him. Don't do that to him. You will know what the consequences are. And there is a hell, an infinite punishment for them that sin against God who infinitely loves himself. But God commandeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the Lord Jesus was even willing to die. And God has given his only son. Is that not extreme love? He in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, to be the atonement, to be the payment, to be the ransom for our sins. The Lord did not have to do that. He was not obliged to save people and to give his only begotten son. It was, there was no necessity at all. He is sufficient, all sufficient himself. has no need of people. God does not need you. He can easily do without us. And yet, in that special, incomprehensible love, God loves the people for himself. Because he is love. I read in Psalm 86 something you may not understand. Maybe you never thought about it. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive. Ready to forgive. Thou art. So he's waiting. Ready to forgive, thou art. Ready meaning... That the Lord is not hesitant. Ready means the Lord is not reluctant. The Lord, the Lord means it. He's ready to forgive. Because he is love. It's important to stress that. Behold what manner of love the, the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. See, he's adopting a people for himself. Adoption, holy adoption. What, what, what a manner, what a depth of love that is. How, how impossible and how real yet. Making a long story short, without God and his love, there is no happiness. There's no fulfillment. Because love is the purpose of life to glorify God and to enjoy him forever is only possible in love. And we read in the Bible that, that love is eternal. Now abideth faith, hope, charity, which means love, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. God is love. And therefore, he will have a loving people 
and he will love them, and they'll be united, because he is love. Let it be an encouragement. Also, when you think of the Lord's Supper table next Sunday, the Lord is love. Secondly, by nature, no love. Congregation, we have seen who God is. Let us look at ourselves. I read in the Bible, in our text, He in His love not that we love God. Not that we love God. No, that, that's, not, that's not the love of God. That is not the real love. That we are loving God. Now, some people stress that. They say, you have to love the Lord, and then he will love you. You have to believe in him, and then he will save you. You have to do something and take the first step, and he will do the rest. You have to do a little bit the peppercorn. Sometimes they say the peppercorn is little, little, little peppercorn. You do it, you have to do it yourself. And then the Lord will save you. But that's not true. This is love. He is love. Not that we loved God. Have you found that out for yourself? Does your heart say amen to that? Did the Lord find you there? Did the Lord arrest you there? The Lord say to you, I don't feel loved by you. You have no love at all for me. And then you say, that's so true. And you felt so poor and so needy because of you. there's no love from your side. You, can, you can't even, you, can, you can't make it. And you that he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, great love, wherewith he loved us. See? So people by nature are also in this area of love. Death. There's no absolutely nothing. It's, it, there's only, only, only death. No love. But in that great mercy, the great love, he, he loves a people that does not love him. Romans 5. For when we were yet without strength, weak, powerless, therefore, especially in loving, so for when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. God commanded his love towards us that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Do you hear the words? Without strength. Without the ability to bring yourself to God. Without strength. The Dutch translation says weak. Ungodly, without God in the world. A loving God, but the people that has no love for him, but that is un ungodly people. Yet when they were yet sinners, and missed the target constantly, and just have no purpose, right purpose in life. It speaks about the wrath of God. We shall be saved from wrath. So there's the curse of the law. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So enemies even. So God is law. And we by nature uh, have no strength. 
are ungodly, are sinners, are under wrath, and are enemies by nature. It's necessary to understand that. That's essential. Because in our text it says, not that we love God. If you love the Lord so much, and if you have your mouth full of that, oh, I love the Lord. I really love the Lord. If that's your frame to speak highly of your own love, I'm afraid that you're in, in the wrong rut. I'm afraid that you don't understand God's grace. I'm afraid that you will have no grace at all in your heart. Yet that love is necessary. We read it in the Bible. It's essential. Do I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity? No love, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Do I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge? And do I have all faith? so that I could remove mountains and have no charity, I'm nothing. So there is nothing, even not if we speak the tongues of angels, even not if we prophesy and understand all the mysteries in the Bible, even not if we have all the faith that we could remove mountains. If that faith is missing, and it is missing by nature, even if we bestow all the goods to feed the poor. And though I give my body to be burned and have no charity, it profited me nothing. See? So no law by nature. One of the most beautiful texts in the Bible for me is Isaiah 53. I remember very well that. I had attended the Lord's Supper a few times. And there was some comfort in it. But then I could not attend anymore. I was so cold. There was such a hardening. And there was no love anymore. I couldn't cry. There were no, 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 no impressions and. The Bible did not speak so anymore, and there was no tenderness in my heart. I, f- I felt just a stone. And I thought, I cannot attend the Lord's Supper this way. You need to stop. I'm a, you're, I'm a liar. You're faking it. You just are deceiving yourself and deceiving people if you continue to attend the Lord's Supper table. So I, I had decided not to attend anymore. You know, I actually preached a couple of weeks ago in the, in, in the church. And I saw that back pew where I sat that time. And I thought, you know, now, now the whole congregation may know that that young man has deceived himself. And I felt even a little bit of anger. Anger in my heart. And then the minister started preaching on Isaiah 53 for 6. All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way. What was his first thought? Explaining that we are going astray like sheep and turned everyone to his own way. Not God's way, but his own way. I don't cry that easily. But I cried. I cried. He was just explaining exactly my frame, who I am, turning to his own way, like sheep going astray. I had no love. It was not so that I discovered that I was loving him. I discovered that I had nothing. I discovered that I had only reasons, the Lord had only reasons to throw me out. And against that background, and he stopped with his first heart. 
He also continueth the thankful. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of his arm. It was the first time. First time I saw it. And I was overwhelmed. That although I had turned my, to my own way and had gone astray and was dead in my heart and an enemy of God, the Lord said, and the Lord has laid on him. So I saw all the stones hitting him. I saw all the iniquities being cast upon him. Now that we love God. You know, I, I like that text first then. He is love. Now that we love God. Oh, absolutely right. But that he loved us. That's by this one. It is from the Lord's side, not from our side. So let me ask you the, the, a few questions. Is it also something you agree with from the heart? Not that we love God. Is that also your confession, Tamaria? That you don't have it in your flesh? Is that your shame? Is that also your repentance? Turning unto the Lord. Even the Apostle Paul writes about that and even in Ephesians 2. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. So Paul said by nature, children of wrath. So the first thought was, God is love. The second thought is that we don't have any, any, any of it ourselves. In the third place, that God works it. The people of God's love. See that halfway, verse 10, but he in his love not that we love God, but, but that he loved us. So but introduces, explains the contrast, and, and the contrast. Not but. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. So that is not about God's general goodness over people, sometimes called the love of God's goodness. This is the love of God's friendship, the love of being a child of the Lord. That's it, it, the saving love. And that's connected in this chapter with having a new heart, being born again, right? The children also know that babies are born and they have to be born again. And children say, how can it be? John, uh, Nicodemus also wondered about that. But they need to be born again. I wonder if it to happen. We'll see that here. Look at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God. Born of God. So when people are born again from the Lord, born of God, then that love is given to them. They didn't have it, it's given. And then they begin to know God, it says, verse 7. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And knowing God in the Bible is not just knowing something, some facts, but a personal, intimate knowing of Him. So when the Lord gives that new birth, they begin to know Him. Or look at the next chapter, chapter 5, verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So again, 
that we need to be born of God. That birth, new birth, is very, very serious thing. Very powerful. It's comparable to the resurrection of the dead. And comparable to creation. But that wonder needs to happen. And that's what our text is talking about. He is love, not that we love God, but he, he loved us. And sent his son to the propitiation for our sins. He is doing it. And as we see, that is also connected to faith, right? So it is to be born of God, to know him, and to believe in him. Those words are important here. So no reasons to be proud next Sunday. Nobody may come to the supper table with with the banner up, I love the Lord so much. I believe in the Lord myself. I have something to bring. I have something to please the Lord. That's, That's not the way to go. The real attending the Lord's Supper is, Lord, hear in his love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to the propitiation for our sins. The born of God means that people are in him and that he is in us. That is such a connection made. It kind of struck me that this is so often explained in this chapter. Maybe you can follow me in the verses 12 through 16. Let's read the verse 12 through 16 and, and see how often it speaks about God in us and we in him. Verse 12. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, that's a gift, God dwelleth in us. And his love is perfected in us. He by knowing that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. See how often, five times or so, about dwelling in him and being in him and remaining in him. It is a relationship after all. It is a closeness. He in me and I in him. And that's also the Lord's Supper, right? This is my body broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Eat and drink. To be united, Christ. That he dwells in you and you in him. Propitiation. Forgiveness. Justification. That is the heart of it. So God's love. God is love. We don't have that love. Yet God loves first, and he makes his people to love him. And they begin to love the Lord Jesus, oh, the beloved lamb, the beloved king, the beloved prophet, the beloved high priest, the beloved Emmanuel, the beloved Savior. He is the Savior even of the world itself. Do you remember that, what the world means? The Savior of the world, it says here, right? In verse 14, 
We have seen and to testify the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. It says cosmos. And cosmos originally means beauty. Cosmetics, right? But you know, that original meaning is not important at all. In the time of the Lord Jesus, the world had a very negative meaning. It means kind of sinful world, evil world. I don't pray for the world. And so the Lord Jesus is the Savior of the world. Kohlbergi, one of the Dutch writers, explains that very well. I love that, that, that explanation about the world. He says, let me just explain it. If we would have said God, Christ is the Savior of his people, then the Pharisees would have rejoiced. Right? It is okay. Yes, he saves his people. And that's, that's us, right? We are his people. But no, it says, Savior of the world. And the Pharisees said, What? I don't think so. That's not for the world. Come on. It's for, my, for, for, for God's people. Not, 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 not for the world. But if someone feels the world in his own heart, if someone is brought to that level of that he cannot come further than being the world, then this text begins to live. The Savior of the world, of sinners, of worldly people. So God loved the worldly people that he gave his only begotten Son See, that is the fatherly love of God. Brings to the last one. Congregation, how do we know if God really loves me in that saving sense? How do you know? We have to examine our own hearts and find out. But how do you find out? Well, the Lord gives assurance sometimes in a direct way and sometimes in an indirect way. What does it mean? Let me give you an example. You come home and you see a father's truck or car in front of the house. Oh, he's home. You conclude that. You don't see him. You don't hug him. You only know he is in the house. You've seen his car. But you know, kind of, you kind of know he is home. You've just seen his car. That's an indirect way. Or you walk into the house and you see him in your own eyes and he hugs you and says, I'm home again after a trip. That is directly. And so the Lord God gives us so assurance to his people in an indirect way. Because they conclude that he is my God, he's my Savior, or in an immediate way. Romans 8, 16 is the immediate way. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You may want to examine that also at home. It is in the Kenzo Dort as well, chapter 5, at article 10. Can you, can you remember that, children? Kenzo Dort, the last chapter, chapter 5, article 10, is about assurance and how you know and that is also by that 
personal witness of the Holy Spirit with your heart so that you know it. It's the personal, intimate contact. Immediately. But sometimes it is in, in an indirect way. Let me show you that. Also in the Kansas Lord, page 99, that is article 12. The elect in due time, God's time, though in various degrees, it's not always the same, and in different measures, attain the assurance of this, their eternal and unchanged election. How? Well, not by inquisitively prying into the secret and deep things of God, but by observing in themselves with a spiritual joy and holy pleasure the infallible fruits of election pointed out in the word of God, such as true faith in Christ, filial fear, a godly sorrow for sin, a hungering and thirsting after righteousness, and it says, etc. So let me just add one. By loving God and Jesus. So when people observe in themselves those fruits, the Holy Spirit can give us spiritual joy and holy pleasure in righteousness. Yes. I'm not a stranger on that. So what is in this chapter, the mark of grace? Love. Do you love him? Is he dear to you? The Lord Jesus Christ especially, is he precious to your heart? Does your heart sometimes go out unto him? And is it so that you cannot deny that? That you sometimes observe in yourself that faith in Christ and that fill your fear, and that hunger, and that thirst, and that love. Can you deny that? See, we don't receive assurance by looking at the circumstances. Sometimes even God's people say, the Lord is against me because this goes wrong and that's wrong and this is disappointing and I, I don't think he likes me. I feel so condemned. I, uh, it, 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 it's, it's all against me. But you know, John 11 verse 3 speaks about Lazarus. Remember, remember Lazarus? This is that. Therefore his sisters sent unto Christ, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Him whom thou lovest is sick. Yes. The Lord has made him sick because the Lord loves him. So you're sick or have those problems in your life. That doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't love you. Maybe, maybe the opposite. Because the Lord chastises and disciplines his people because he loves them. So that love also for one another is in, uh, is, is, is in uh, a mark. Like what I start with, right? That some people harass you and you say, I love you. And that people tease you and that you don't do it back. That is typically the Christian. And I don't think you can do that if you don't have that Christian in your heart. If you know that the Lord has forgiven you, although you had sinned against him, although you did not love him, the Lord did not, not retaliate. 
but that he gave his only son as a propitiation for sins, and he became the savior of the world. If you know those things, then, we, you, then you see that in your life. Then you begin to practice that. We've all been sort of done. So let me read it here. From Matthew 5. And you ask yourself the question, if you, if you know this, if you practice this, or at least if you are committed to put your shoulders under it. You have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do you do that? Do good to them that hate you. Are you practicing that? I pray for them which despitefully, uh, despitefully use you. you. You pray for them? You do? That's a mark of grace. That he may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he made his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and send the rain on the just and the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same. And if you salute your brethren only, what do, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be therefore perfect, also in loving, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. God is love. We don't have that love. But the Lord is first in regeneration and giving the new heart and making you aware of the fact that you did not love him. And he says, and, I, and yet I am the Savior. And then your, your life changes. And you begin to love the Bible and to love the Lord and to love his service. And you begin to also love people, even your enemies. Well, that does not mean that you trust all your enemies, and that does not mean that you can live with all your enemies, but that you at least still love them. Congregation, next week, Sunday, we hope to have the Lord's Supper. We need an church right. We need to be a member in good standing of the church, the congregation of Chile. If you're from another NSC congregation, you can have receive permission if you want. You can contact us. But you especially need that divine right, right? The divine right. So use this week as a week of preparation. And I would say, read over this chapter a couple of times. Or even the whole Bible book. It's not that long. It doesn't take a long time. And, and ask yourself the question, do I know this? Do I know this? May the Lord bless. Amen.